Welcome to the sermon podcast of Paley Presbyterian Church. The following sermon is by Pastor Jonathan Mikesell. How do we grow in our relationship with God? On the surface, that seems like a legitimate question, seems like a good question. Seems like the kind of question that all of us who are followers of Jesus Christ should want to ask and should want to find a a good answer to. We want to grow in our walk with God. We want to be uh, closer to God today than we were yesterday or last year or, or a year ago. It is a legitimate and a good question. The challenge for most of us, though, isn't the desire to grow. Often the challenge comes when we put into practice those activities and those actions which help us to achieve that goal of growing closer to God. And to to make that point, I wanted to just kind of draw a parallel with an area that perhaps is a little bit easier for us to to see the connection. And that is when we're talking about our physical fitness, when we're talking about how we're taking care of our bodies. You know, most of us would want to have more energy, more endurance. We want to have bodies that are working the way that they're supposed to. We want to be in shape. We want to, to do all of these things to take care of our bodies so that we can live more productively in our world. That's the goal. And most of us would agree that that's a legitimate good goal that we want to strive toward. The challenge isn't the goal. The challenge is how do we get there? The challenge is those long hours of, of lifting weights or going for a run or those, those times when we have to have particular care in what and how much we eat. That's, that's the tough part. The tough part isn't setting the goal and, and wanting to make our way to, to be in better physical condition. The tough part is going through those tasks, those steps that are necessary to get us to that point. And something similar to that occurs in our spiritual lives, in our relationship with God. God wants for us to experience spiritual growth, and most of the time, we, we want for that as well. God desires for us to draw closer in relationship to God and to live that relationship out in close relationships with others. But often, to get there, to get there, we have to go through experiences and circumstances which build our faith. And many times those experiences can be difficult. Much like it can be difficult to to lift those weights and run that distance, many times those, those tasks, those activities, those circumstances of life that are necessary for growing our faith are not things that we particularly want to look to or want to put into place. Many times we want that to come much more quickly. We want uh, what our culture might call and consider sort of a microwave Christianity instead of sort of the long term in which God works in and through our lives. But God is at work. God is at work drawing us closer to himself. God is at work helping us to grow in our relationship with God and one another. And we're in the midst of this seven-week series examining how we grow closer to God. We've looked at what we call spiritual disciplines. What we read about in Scripture is spiritual disciplines. We've talked about things like Bible study and prayer and the significance that they have in helping us to grow closer to God. Last Sunday, Becca led us on a study of how to live out our faith in simplicity and in service to one another. 
While there's some challenge and growth in each one of these disciplines, we see the merit in each one. And we have a growing desire to follow in the path that God has for us. But this morning, we turn our attention to a fourth of these spiritual disciplines. And the fourth that we're going to focus on today is the spiritual discipline of evangelism. Sharing our faith with people around us. And I think if there's one word that over which Christians and non-Christians can agree in their negative sentiment, it might be the word evangelism. Non-Christians hear that word and they recoil thinking of the person that's sort of standing on the street corner trying to interrupt their day and trying to coerce them into thinking something that they don't even want to consider on that time. They don't want to be coerced. They don't want to be manipulated. They don't want someone else trying to change their mind. On the side of Christians, sometimes you hear that word and you think along similar lines. You know, I don't, I don't want to be pushy. I don't want to be a, a person that, that interrupts their life. I don't want to try to, to coerce them or try to make them believe something that they, they don't want to believe. And, and you know, in the end, they, those two pieces, in a way, kind of come together. And the fact is, right at the outset here today, I, I have to admit to you that I hear the word evangelism, and sometimes I have similar kinds of reactions, similar kinds of, of ways of looking at it, and I'm a pastor. Each one of us hears that word, and we have sort of a, a, a gut-level initial reaction to it. But we also read in Scripture, we also read the words that Jesus spoke in places like Matthew 28 when he says this, "'Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son.'" And of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. There's definitely a call in Scripture to, to go, to, to take the message of hope that we have, the message of Jesus Christ, to people who are around us, to people outside the walls of the church. We recognize that on, on one hand. And we also recognize what we mentioned a moment ago, that many times in our own experiences, in our own response to that word, there is a reluctance. And so how do these two contradictory items come together? Is there hope that we can grow in the spiritual discipline of evangelism? Well, thankfully, Scripture gives us some good news. Good news in a number of different ways. Evangelism doesn't have to be a scary kind of thing. It doesn't have to be something where, as I mentioned a few moments ago, where you are standing on the street corner and, and trying to interrupt other people's days. In fact, evangelism can be a wonderful opportunity to join in the work that God is already doing. It can be a chance to experience God's power, God's grace in remarkable and amazing ways. And that's what we're going to think about. That's what we're going to explore together this morning as we reflect on those passages that were read to us just a few moments ago. And as we think about God's invitation to join in the work that God is doing, inviting men and women, boys and girls all around us into a growing relationship with God. Now, before we get into those two passages, I want to, first of all, just kind of clarify something. And that is the, the definition of the word. When we hear the word evangelism, what, what does that mean? What does it mean to, to be an evangelist, to, to share in this way? And the Greek word from which we get the word evangelism is the word euangelion, which is a, a, a word that simply means good news. 
So I said about that there's some good news a few moments ago, and I'm actually the, using that word in a couple of different ways because the fact is that evangelism is about sharing good news. The people that, that maybe were having a reaction to that word, and all of us in, in the first part of this sermon may not always think of it that way, but that's the simple fact. It's about sharing good news. In Jesus' day, in the Greek culture of his day, there was, in the Roman culture of his day, there was opportunities to share good news in a number of different ways. When the military was coming back from a successful campaign, they wanted to share the good news. When a, a political figure uh, was able to, to make progress in whatever was happening around them, they wanted to share the good news. In families and other kinds of gatherings, there was opportunity to share the good news. And in our culture, in our day, you know, it's, it's not that much different, right? We have opportunities, we have times when we want to share the good news. When our, when our sports team wins... We, want to, we like to share the good news. We like to cheer and shout and share the good news. When we get a promotion at work or something good happens to us in that regard, we like to share the good news. If we somehow t- today uh, were, were able to find a cure for cancer or for heart disease or some other significant illness in our world, we'd want to share the good news, right? We'd want to make sure that the people all around us heard and understood the good news. The specific good news inherent in evangelism in the, in the gospel is the good news about Jesus Christ and the hope and the forgiveness that is ours in Jesus Christ. Why is it that we sometimes have a much harder time sharing that good news than we have sharing the good news about our family or our work or some other kinds of situations? It doesn't have to be that way. And that's what we're going to think about in the moments that we have here together this morning. The first place where we want to hear about this message of evangelism was in the first passage that Maddie read a few minutes ago. There, the kingdom of God is described in farming terms. And while most of us sitting here have not spent our career in agriculture, we may have dabbled in a garden or at least understand the basic principle of what's involved here. Seed is scattered on the ground. Some work is done to prepare the soil and to water it after the seed is, is, is uh, circulated. And, and, and there's, there's some weeding that's done and other ways that we prepare the ground for what is happening. But for the most part, once the seed is in the ground, for the most part, it becomes a, a waiting game for a matter of months until that seed grows into a plant and until the plant buds and until whatever the items are that you're trying to grow in that plant happen, you wait and you wait and you wait. And then sometime later, you have the opportunity to go out there and to pick whatever that piece of fruit or vegetable or whatever it was that was, that was being grown. After several months, depending on the crop, the farmer takes out the sickle in this passage or whatever the modern equivalent of farming equipment that we might have and goes and harvests the crop. Now, there was definitely work for the farmer to complete. Farmers work hard. But farmers can't actually make the crops grow. They can provide the right environment. To the best of their abilities, they can, they can provide and, and keep things away from those plants. But when it comes down to it, and particularly as, we've, uh, as our modern science has understood what is happening at a molecular level, 
The farmer can't make that seed turn into a plant, turn into whatever the produce is. The farmer can create the environment. The farmer can do a lot of work and he can create the, the setting in which that can happen. But there are, there are factors outside of the control of the farmer. And on top of that, if there's no rain or if a storm comes at just the wrong time, all of the work that the farmer engaged in kind of quickly goes away. We learn that the farmer is ultimately not the one who is able to completely make that fruit or that vegetable come to life. Now, in the context of evangelism, that may seem like a bit of a strange metaphor. What does the process of growing a plant and producing a crop have to do with evangelism? Well, farmers can work and work and still lose their crop. And for all the, of the farmer's work, they can't produce the growth of those plants. Ultimately, they aren't in control of that process. And in a very similar way, evangelism is not up to you or to me. We're invited by God to plant seeds, and we're going to think a little bit about what that means in a few minutes. But we can't make a person want to follow after Jesus. It isn't about being the most articulate individual or persuading others in just the right way. Instead, evangelism is about God working in that person's life, bringing them to a point of deciding to follow God. We have a role to play. We're invited to come alongside what God is doing. But that role is coming alongside of the God of the universe who, is, who loves that person and who is at work preparing their heart and their mind. In essence, we're invited to see the harvest by the one who is ultimately responsible, and that's God himself. Now, I don't know about you, but I find it freeing to understand that it is God who is at work bringing people into a relationship with himself. It isn't up to me to save people or even to elicit that desire in God. In fact, I, I can't do that, and neither can you. Instead, we're invited to join God, to join God in the work that God is doing in the lives of men and women and boys and girls. And that work, that work that God is doing happens throughout a process of sharing and of drawing and of inviting them into a relationship with a God who loves them far more than they could ever begin to imagine. It's God who prepares the hearts of the individual, and it's God who, who invites us to share in those moments. It's God who gives us experiences that can, that can particularly interact with that person's life, and it's God who prepares the other individual to receive and to interact with us. God is the one who brings the increase. It's God who brings people to a relationship with himself. So if we recognize that, if we recognize that it is God who's at work, ultimately responsible for people coming to faith, then what is our role? How does God use us in this process? Well, that's where the, the second passage that we read comes into play. In 1 Peter 3, Verses 15 and 16, it says this. But in your heart, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience, so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. The people to whom Peter was writing faced hardship. They faced difficulty. 
They were being persecuted precisely because they were doing good and following the path that God had for them. Acting in obedience with God led them to a life of suffering and hardship. Here's the thing. In the midst of that suffering, there was something different about their lives. Something unexpected. Something that the people around them would have no doubt found to be incredibly strange, incredibly weird, incredibly out of the ordinary. They had hope. In spite of all that they were seeing around them, in spite of the the persecution they were facing, in spite of no doubt losing jobs and homes and all sorts of other things, in the midst of those trying times, there was a fundamental hope at the core of who they were. And and Peter, Peter gave them an encouragement to as they were living out this life of hope to be prepared to tell others about the reason for the hope that they experienced. And we're going to come to that content of that faith in just a few moments. But first of all, I want us to think for a moment about that kind of hope in the midst of suffering and difficulty. How is it possible? How is it possible, particularly when you you are following after the things of God, you are doing everything that that you understand from God to be the right things, and yet you still face difficulty, persecution, and hardship. How is it possible to have hope in the midst of that time? Peter points his readers to one person, and that one person was Jesus Christ. Jesus was their example, and Jesus is our example, because Jesus faced all kinds of persecution. He went to a cross for sins that he had not committed. He took on himself the sins that you and I had committed and that all the history of humanity had committed. He didn't deserve it. He didn't earn it. It wasn't something that justly came his way. But Jesus faced that, and he did it for you and for me. And in Jesus' overcoming, it's his overcoming that his followers have hope. It's in Jesus' resurrection from the dead and being alive today that we have hope Hope in the midst of all sorts of trying and challenging circumstances. Regardless of what was happening all around them, and many who heard Peter's words were facing excruciating difficulty and death, there's something beyond this world that this world cannot overcome. And it was in the midst of those trying situations and those trying circumstances that the people to whom Peter was writing, the people to whom he was sharing, there was something fundamentally different. And that fundamental difference was the hope that they had in the risen Savior, Jesus Christ. As you and I live our lives, do people see in our very existence the hope that is ours in Jesus Christ? When things go bad at work, is there, is there something fundamentally hopeful? Is there something that fundamentally looks at the world in a different kind of way than the people that are around us? When that difficult diagnosis comes your way, do, do we exhibit hope? Do we see things through a lens that, that isn't just of this world? When, when things like COVID-19 hit, is our response to be overcome or is it to find a peace and a hope in our risen Savior, Jesus Christ? Now, sometimes that hope is experienced in healing and a new life in this world. Things being turned around in a miraculous and a wonderful way. 
But sometimes the situation in our world doesn't improve. Sometimes the, 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 the situation only gets worse. And sometimes it is in those very, very, very trying circumstances that the light and the hope and the grace of Jesus Christ shines through in ways that people all around us say that is absolutely impossible. But it's only possible, only possible, because we follow and worship a risen Savior who is alive and who is with us in those days of joy and in those days of hardship, difficulty, and sorrow. Living out God's love also happens as we extend kindness to people who are around us. It's as we do things like baking cookies and taking them to the staff at Paoli Hospital. It's as we gather items for uh, moms in difficult situations through the ministries of City Team. It's in extending the love of Christ to our graduating seniors. It's in collecting books for those in, in inner city Philadelphia who don't have the opportunity to receive these things. And who we have the opportunity in the midst of that when the question gets raised, why are you doing this? What is it about your life? You, you, this, this isn't just an ordinary kind of way to act. It's not just because we're good people. It's because we know of the hope of a risen Savior Jesus Christ. That's what Peter's talking about here. That's what Jesus is talking about when he says to go into all the world. It's not a should or an ought. It's an opportunity to be the hands and the feet and the hope of Jesus Christ in a world that so often needs to hear it. We are invited to be ambassadors for Christ. First, by exhibiting the hope that is ours in Christ. And the question is, does your life does my life reflect that level of hope? Significant start to this evangelism process is providing that living example. But that isn't the end. Peter also goes on to say, when people see the hope, be prepared to give them a reason for the hope that you have. Give them a reason, give them the content, help them to understand what it is that, that they're seeing that's so attractive, what it is that they're seeing that's so different from the world around us. What do, what do we share with them? What is the content of that hope? How do we respond when people notice that difference? A part of what we share, part of that message is simply a testimony of what God has done in our lives. What, how has God, what were you like before? And what are you like with God? And that difference is many times a, a remarkable testimony to the grace and the difference of God. And here's the thing. The people around you, they, they can't argue with your story of how God has worked in their life. And it speaks volumes of the love and the grace of God. But there's also, there's also a, a basic nature, a basic content to what it is that we believe that Jesus Christ has done on our behalf. And it's something like this said in your own words, but something along the lines of that God created humans to be in close relationship with himself there in the garden. But beginning with those first humans and continuing to each one of us, we've all sinned. We've all disobeyed God and turned another way. And the result of our sin is a break in relationship with God. Once we're marred by that sin, once that relationship is broken, there's no way for any of us to get ourselves back to God. But God, in his incredible love 
and grace and mercy came to us in human form, Jesus Christ, to live the sinless life that we can't live and to die on a Roman cross to pay the penalty for our sins. But he didn't remain dead. On that first Easter Sunday morning, he rose again, validating his teachings and ministries and making possible a relationship with each one of us. We're invited to receive that gift, that gift of forgiveness, that gift of a relationship with God. It's not something we can earn. It's not something we can do anything for God to merit. But it is something that we're invited to receive. God loves you and me in incredible ways. How would you articulate that? Perhaps taking a few minutes to write down those handful of bullet points and be able to say it in your own words. The difference that Jesus Christ has made and the content of the, the basic content of the difference of the forgiveness and hope that is ours in Jesus Christ. Perhaps it would be helpful to sort of think that through and to write that down as, as a means of being prepared to give a reason for the hope that is within you. Now, I do have to admit, as I mentioned a little bit earlier, this is one of those sermons that is, I'm preaching to myself as much as I'm preaching it to you. It's so easy for me to get caught up in the difficult circumstances of life, to get caught up in the world around us, to, uh, to go negative. It's so easy for my, the hope that we have in Jesus Christ to get buried behind the realities of day-to-day -day, uh, issues of life. But it's an encouragement to each one of us as well. It's so easy to hear the word evangelism as simply an ought or a should, and not as an opportunity. An opportunity to see the grace of God in our lives and to live that out in such a way that others say, what is it about you? There's something that's different. There's something in you that is hopeful, that, that, that brings joy in the midst of trying times. What is that difference? When was the last time that you had good news to share? How excited were you to tell others about whatever that piece of good news in your world happened to be? And are you that excited about sharing the good news, the eternal good news of forgiveness and a relationship with God? I want to encourage you today as Becca comes to lead us in prayer to recognize the hope that is ours in Christ and the opportunity that we have to reflect that in our relationships with others.